0: what's up redder nation welcome back to another episode of regimenters live tonight episode 70 with guests jamie fenstrel and jamie hanks two jamies tonight who both crushed this year's shawnee 50 miler and we were so stoked
1: to hear about their differences in the training and how they fared on the day there in the forest so sit back relax and enjoy What is up Ridge Runner Nation? Welcome back to another episode of Ridge Runners Live. We are so excited to have Jamie Fensel and Jamie Hanks, uh, two Jamies, joining us for this show. Um, if you've been involved in the Ohio ultra running scene at all, I'm sure you've heard of these two lovely folks. Um, but this year we are celebrating them specifically for Jamie Fensel's win uh, in the women's race at the Shawnee 50 and Jamie Hanks' second place in the men's race there. Um, so without any further introduction, you know, how are y'all doing tonight? Doing great.
0: <laughs> I'm excellent. Better than I deserve, as Dave Ramsey would say on his podcast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> awesome. That is great. Uh, as always, I am Cameron, the sixth man of the nation, hosting today with Nick Voss, our first show together. And fun fact, Nick Voss is actually, uh, if I remember correctly, the first person that I ever met at an ultramarathon race.
2: Oh, cool. I think that's right. Thunder Bunny and maybe 2016, 17, <laughs> 18, Okay. <laughs> that was, oh, that's and, right. Uh, you would have been like 12 then.
1: <laughs> I, hold on. I graduated high school in 2015. Okay. <laughs> it was not an Ultra Runner yet. Um, but yeah, that is so great. We're so excited to uh, have our very first Cam and Voss show. And of course, our first show with two folks who have the same name. And Jamie and Jamie, um, you know, we're so happy to have you all on tonight. Let's start with our usual first question. Uh, what are y'all drinking tonight? I and, uh, am Jamie, lame. And, like
3: sorry. I've gone, I've gone with water because I realized I have a long training run tomorrow and I already had beer uh-huh. earlier tonight. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a solid Good choice. choice. <laughs> yeah. I am drinking like the OG craft beer fat tire.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah standard so a little, little, little
1: color a little colorado
2: action there
0: exactly i've got a uh, a
2: colorado beer as well it's from a brewery called weldworks brewing um Ooh. it's a double double ipa called advanced fluid dynamics that sounds and, delicious
1: <laughs> and i've got a western beer but not a colorado beer a uh, bitterroot brewing from down the valley in hamilton here uh huckleberry honey uh, ale What's the difference between an ale and an IPA? I'm not quite sure, but all in on everything Huckleberry, as I have been since I moved here to uh, Missoula. So excited to be uh, having this tonight and excited to dig into uh, our two guests, Shawnee 50 race. And let's go ahead and start with, you know, something really interesting going into these things um, is that you both kind of had had a different, uh, relatively different seasons going into this with success at the hundred mile distance before this, but then kind of different priorities, right? So, uh, Jamie Fenstrel, um, I will probably be calling Jamie Hanks, just Hanks uh, or James. Cause I know you've done <laughs> that before, um, yeah. just to alleviate that confusion. Can you, uh, talk to us a little bit about what, um, the reason that you signed up for this race for and why you were excited to do it?
3: Yeah. So I, you know, it's always been a race that I've loved. I, I did it the first year in 2018 and, um, last year during the kind of the COVID edition, it was really fun. We actually went down and that's where where I met Jamie Hanks and, um, ran with some friends and just did it for fun. But, um, you know, I really wanted something to look forward to, to challenge myself. And it's been kind of a rough year. I had, um, I had two DNFs at the hundred mile distance, um, within five weeks of each other. And, uh, you know, it was kind of a hard pill to swallow. I think having both of them happen within a short period of time. And I really wanted to kind of feel like I was back on my feet and able to, you know, still execute a relatively strong performance after that. Um, so I think this race was really just sort of like special in the sense that I knew the course, um, I really, you know, Michael's a great race director. He's, you know, he's also my coach. Um, so it, it was just kind of a special um, place to be, um, and to meet the people that I, that I kind of knew there knew the course. And, um, yeah, it was just, it's a beautiful place to be.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, what about you, uh, James?
0: Yeah, I like that. Um, I can really empathize with that, Jamie, that, uh, you know, the comeback season and everything and, in 2019, I had two DNFs that summer, my first one at Mohican in June, and it was due to some issues that I just didn't maintain during the race, and also at Wasatch later in the summer. So that was a little bit demoralizing, and uh, I wanted to follow that up um, with a solid summer of races in 2021 with the with the virus slowing down and, and the races back to normal. So I was able to, you know, started off in June with a uh, a nice finish at Mohican. Um, I went into it healthy, and I knew at after that race that I definitely want to try to do the duo of maybe what I would call Ohio's best true trail ultras, and that is with the Shawnee 50 in October. So the whole entire summer, I was really looking forward to getting back. One of the SEO TR events, and my my main goal is just to stay healthy and not have any IT band issues like I have had um, in the past seasons, or uh, um, other issues I've had with motivation to just get out there and train hard. So, kind of leading up to this one, I've just I've been able to bring some variety in, and I, I showed up to both of the races. Very happy to be a part of the events again, and um, excited to just you know get out and try to run hard. And the Ohio forest.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Great, great answers there from both of y'all. And so one thing um, going into that, that I I find really interesting is um, at least from James's perspective is you spent a lot of the summer doing more hiking and climbing. And because you're a friend of mine, I got to hear about a lot of those adventures. Um, Did that play into, you know, you showing up at the Shawnee starting line feeling maybe less fit overall running wise, but happier to be there and more excited about what the event was going to be.
0: Absolutely. I actually was planning on doing the Pacific crest trail this spring and due to some family reasons, I, and also, you know, just the the fact that the West is kind of in a blaze right now. Uh, and it was very, very hot at the beginning with the drought. Um, I decided to, uh, just, stay in Ohio and and really reap the benefits of the the season opening back up. And since I was doing other activities, I think it helped me balance the the volume of running. And that's something I've always had a little bit of a hard time with. I never necessarily would have called myself a high volume runner. Um, And I'm trying to even kind of separate myself from that identity as just a runner in general, because I, initially, I, I think, you know, I got into running because of mainly I wanted to do the Boston marathon and through, uh, you know, kind of realizing that that wasn't my forte. Um, I, I decided to sort of just focus on specific trail training. And as everyone knows, it's harder to get out onto actual trails, um, throughout the week, if you're working a full-time job. So I would, uh, you know, try to limit the amount of road running, which to me lessens the impacts on my joints and, and exchange that for trail time. So I, I really, I did do training leading up to Mohican, um, and Shawnee alike, uh, a lot around my local trails at Dillon state park and, uh, blackhand gorge, which both offer some pretty decent elevation change and, and course, um, or terrain that's similar to what you see at Mohican and Shawnee. Um, specifically Dillon state park offers a lot of the rolling terrain that, um, you see up at Mohican and and the roots and everything. And at Blackhand Gorge, it has more of the double track, steep, sustained inclines that you see at Shawnee. So doing a little bit of, uh, climbing mixed into there also, and at the local rock climbing area helps kind of build up, I think some of my joints and muscles around them to, to deal with, uh the impact of those races. So I think doing the cross training kind of helped mentally keep me in the game, but also, uh, just, you know, give me something else to focus on because there's, to me, there's a lot of fun in the outdoors and and not all of it's, uh, related to running. So that was a long winded answer.
1: (laughs) No, it was, but it was a, it was a good answer. Um, Mm -hmm. and it kind of covered what I was, what I was asking in that question. And now, um, Frankly, I don't know as much about what your summer was like, Jamie, other than um, your attempts at Mohican and Burning River. Um, that's just obviously due to the fact that I lived in a tiny house Jamie built, um, and we never had that relationship. Um, I assume you'd make a decent landlord as well, but you know. Um, so why don't you take us through, you know, what your training specifically for the Shawnee 50 looked like and what your goals were going into this race and how it sort of fit into this year, once you realized you were going to be uh, on the starting line.
3: Yeah. So I moved to Columbus in January of this year. And one thing I found here is I definitely miss the access to the trails. And, um, you know, as Jamie mentioned during the week is, is impossible for me. I'm about an hour away from any decent trails. So really, you know, my main focus was um, just to start doing, you know, and, and kind of working with Michael, doing some more variety in my training. So, you know, really adding in some speed work and intensity. Um, cause I think what I had found myself getting into was I was always getting consistent mileage, but I wasn't really ever, I was never really running hard and I was never really running easy. And I think over time that kind of caught up with me that I was sort of stuck in this, what felt like a very consistent, but like I couldn't get any better kind of pace. Um, so we worked on, you know, bringing in some some different interval workouts, and then you know, of course, my Saturday run is typically when I do get um, to Mohican or Clear Creek. Um, those are the two most often that I that I hit. I'm sometimes Great Seal as well. So I feel like there's options from Columbus, but they're all at least about an hour away. So it definitely is something, um, you know, during the week that isn't isn't really attainable for me. Um, so I did have a little bit of I guess apprehension about the hills at Shawnee, just knowing that I. I don't hit hill training, um, very, very frequently, but, um, you know, I think I really found that I, the, the interval training for me did give some strength. Um, I think both to my legs as well as just cardiovascularly, it, it did, um, it did help a lot. I don't, I don't do a lot of cross training, like, um, like Jamie does. Um, I, I do some yoga and, um, a little bit of biking, but I'm, I'm primarily a runner. I feel like I'm not good at anything else. So, um, but yeah, I think just, you know, overall my mileage was a little higher, probably, um, going into Shawnee than, than it had been. I had been doing more biking in previous, um, training cycles. So, um, yeah, that's about how I approached it. And I I would say I showed up relaxed, but a little uncertain of (laughs) how my body was going to feel.
0: Can I say one more thing about uh, cross-training? Yeah, of course. Um, the, uh, the thing about it is though, it's like a lot of the, the stuff I do that might be considered cross-training, I don't really feel like it is. It's more of just like something to take my mind off of the running training, you know. I'm really bad with like doing any sort of core exercises or or gym routines. I know Cam, you have the you have it dialed in with your um, stretches and bands and all the the, the, the trinkets and stuff. And I, and I have a couple of those things that I like to incorporate, but I I'm really bad at it. Like I, I would call myself very lazy. So I don't want anyone to even get the wrong impression.
3: Oh, I should uh, mention. Yeah. yeah. I, I guess it's my cross training, I, one thing I do consistently do is, um, yeah. I'm obsessed with my Peloton so I have um, I use the Peloton app and I do a core, I do core exercises every day. So that is my my nice. one like testament. And I think I think having a strong core really does help. I you know people always say that, and I think I've noticed a difference this year in doing core every day, at least five minutes.
0: <laughs> nice. And I think the core kind of is, comes from a it's a byproduct of rock climbing too. So mm. that's why I do like it as a, a cross training uh, routine because you really do have to have core tension in order to do any sort of, uh, hard climbing. So that that's probably where I get it from, but yoga should be included in that. I think (laughs) more in the future, I can see where the benefits would come from or just designated, um, core exercises exercises. So, yeah, for sure.
2: sounds like you guys both have that in common and and I totally agree with you guys and I can kind of relate to, uh, to Hank's a little bit. I I'm not the best at being consistent with a lot of that uh, that strength work and core work and things like that. So um, that's good to hear. And it's, uh, I think it's good for a lot of new runners to, to understand that, you know, the core is, is kind of it, like, not to just say it's your core, but it's the center, it's the center of your mass and it's really what controls everything out to your peripherals. Um, so, you know, we talk a lot about in, in a lot of our groups about, you know, what, what fatigue actually is and in my opinion, hmm fatigue, I think is as the form breaks down. And so if you can maintain a strong core, um, and through the course of an ultra marathon, the more, the more you can maintain your good running form, um, you're going to be in better shape. It's when that running form starts to break down when you're tired, that, you know, that, that really challenges, um, and puts a lot of strain on the rest of the joints and muscles
0: and things like that too. So that's really good. So and I can it, break down with high mileage, no doubt. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The longer you go.
2: Um, so talk a little bit. Um, I, I kind of realized before the show today, um, that you both also were involved with the inaugural Shawnee. Um, so that's, that's pretty cool. Um, if we can just take a little bit of dive back in time, um, we'll start with you, Jamie, how, how did you initially, um, find out about the race and what was your motivation going in to the inaugural year?
3: Um, so actually I had just started trail running that year. Uh, well, I ran my first 50 K in May of 2018. Um, and I remember telling my friends, I only wanted to do a 50 K. I never want to do anything longer than that. I'm just here for 50 K. Yeah. And that escalated quickly. Um, I definitely joined a crazy group of people up in uh, Cleveland, Akron area. Um, but I guess what appealed to me was just reading that it was like, the hardest 50 miler in Ohio. And I thought, you know, I want to do something like really scary for my first 50. I want to do something that's like legit hard. Um, and so, you know, I signed up for it and I remember being totally terrified and being like, I don't know if I can do this. Um, and I will admit there, there were definitely some tears during my first 50. I remember seeing my husband at mile 20 and being like, I'm so tired. I have 50 K to go. I don't know how to do this. Um, but it was, I think it was an amazing experience. Like at the end to be like, wow, like I did this and it was the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, but at the same time, I loved it. So, and it was just so, so beautiful there. I just remember um, it, just the remote, how remote Shawnee is and how, how like alone, but it, at peace you are there. I don't know. It was, it's a really great place. Um, and especially the dark side. I love, I love that section there. And um, yeah, so that was, I guess for me, it was just the, the challenge of like, I, my first 50K felt really like good. I did really well. And I thought, well, I guess I'll try to step it up.
2: <laughs> Did you have any idea what 12,000 feet of up and down was going to feel like, though? That's my <laughs> no, question. No, that's the funny we part. Can't really... We can't prepare for that in Ohio. I know it's hard. No,
3: I remember doing hill repeats and I was on the Stairmaster at the gym and like trying to like, you know, <laughs> do like stairs and things. And then I remember being there and like I said, I hit mile 20 and was like, these climbs are out of this world. Like I, I think just my legs had never experienced anything like it. And end, I, I did okay, but I definitely remember going in and being like, I can run this in 12 hours. That's no problem. <laughs> quickly realizing that wasn't going to happen. <laughs>
1: Yeah. You know, funnily enough, uh, Jamie, actually that same tagline is what got me to the Shawnee 50 race that same year for the inaugural one. I remember Michael Owen sent out his Seattle email list. It was like Ohio's hardest ultra marathon. Um, and I saw it and it was in the summer and I immediately took it to my physical therapy appointment with me. Um, and to comment on, uh, James's point there, it's like, there's a reason why I'm doing core exercise it's because i've I've paid people to remind me to do them um and i was dealing with like some really serious sciatic issues at the time and she was just like absolutely not no way don't do this and so i volunteered (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's a it'll beat you
0: up um the the inaugural year I was, um, I was a total Gumby showing up to that race. I, I mean, I had a pretty good season. I did some cool races. I, um, I actually was able to finish Leadville that year and that was sort of a confidence boost, but it didn't really teach me how to run in cold weather, even though it was, you know, above 10,000 feet a lot of the time. Cause I, I totally freaked out, uh, the morning of, of the first year I, I brought my puffy jacket with me thinking that I needed to stay warm the whole day because of, you know, it was snowing right out of the, uh, the gate in the morning. And I just think that that first year I, I went into it with a sort of, um, like a fear mindset and I just, I kept going through the aid stations thinking like, if I can just get to the next one, I'll be fine. But I wasn't very present the whole day. I was just really, digging deep to get a finish. And there was times in 2018 that I seriously considered DNFing the 50 mile distance. And that's something I don't ever want to do anymore because I feel like it's one of those things where you can, if you really need to, you can walk out of 50 and usually there's enough time to do it. Um, but that year I, I, I did consider it and then I gritted my teeth and made it to the end. But, uh, yeah, I, I first heard about the Shawnee forest when I was in college and I always heard that it was called the little Smokies of Ohio. That's kind of its nickname because it has the fog that sets in the valleys and you'll get the beautiful landscape shot of the mist rising up and it's layered and the mountains look like they're folded over each other. Um, So it kind of was an inspiring race. And I knew no matter what that season that I it was in my heart. I'm from Ohio and I need to do it. So the uh, the inaugural year, it, it definitely beat everyone down that was out there. Yeah, and
2: just to will, remind any, yeah. anyone who's watching right now who ran just this past year and they're wondering, snow, what could you possibly be talking about? It was uh, it was in early November, which is still pretty early for snow in Ohio. Um, so it was mm-hmm. certainly one of the first cold days, but uh, I know you might be thinking, if you're watching, you're thinking, "What? It was hot this year, but that is, you know, also classic Ohio. It could be
0: hot or cold from day to day there." And the streams were higher that day. I was going to say the, were, the water yeah, crossings the were
3: were nuts. It was just like water crossing after water crossing, and it was like 25 degrees. <laughs> so, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, fires at the aid stations, mm-hmm.
3: hey, and also fireball. Yeah. I distinctly remember them having <laughs> oh, <yeah>. fireball. <laughs> <laughs> Which I may have taken.
0: <laughs> Me too. Yeah,
2: <laughs> that sounds like a Chadwick it. thing.
3: Yes, it does.
1: <laughs> yeah, I I distinctly remember uh, that difference from 2019, the year when I attempted the Shawnee 50, in 2018 uh, when I just volunteered it. You know preparing myself mentally, I was living in Chicago at the time. Like it's gonna be like there's gonna be big stream crossings, and there's so much climbing. And then I showed up and there wasn't as much climbing as I thought. Uh, but there was not like a drop of water anywhere in the forest. It was bone dry. Um, which brings me to uh to my question is uh since y'all have ran this on both dates, um, which date do you really prefer for this race? Do you think that you know, the early October, you're getting more of the colors and the weather's a little bit calmer or that 2018 year was just hard for every reason in the book. Do you think you'd ever want to replicate that and go back to Shawnee when just the weather's nasty and you've got to really fight for every
3: inch? I'm a 100% a freeze baby. So I'm all a fan of it being warmer. Um, and I also have almost died at Shawnee about hypothermia in January. That's a, That's another story, but, um, yes. Yeah, so I, I, favor the warmer weather. <laughs>
0: Truthfully, I'm teetering between both. I, I can't give a true answer on it because I've had issues with both sides of it. Uh, when it's warm, the seed ticks have always given me a problem down there. Um, in 2020, during the fun run, I had a terrible infestation of them all over my body. And this year was just the same. All up my legs, I had massive tick bites everywhere the day after that led to itches the entire week that were pretty bad. Um, but that's usually when the, the seed ticks are out is when it's warm. So in a few weeks they could be completely gone, which would might, uh, might be nice to have it you know, colder. So people don't have to experience that. Jamie, did you, did you have any seed ticks land on you this year?
3: Yeah. You know, now that you say that it's true, I had a lot of bites as well after the race and Uh I don't, don't remember that from the first year. So yeah, I guess that is a benefit. There are also sections that are more overgrown when it's, you know, there's more still foliage on the trees. So yeah, I guess it it can go both ways. I just know for me, I, I struggle mentally. I struggle in the cold for a long time.
0: Yeah. Michael, he confided that if it would have been a couple weeks later, there probably would have been none out there, they die, die off as soon as the temperatures drop down into mm-hmm. the low 40s at nighttime. So that is one benefit of it being later in the year, because they, they also get pretty wonder, heinous. <laughs>
2: I wonder if they're worse on the dark side, because I was, you know, I was in the, the, the simple 50k and, and I, I didn't get any. And, and I think mm-hmm. there's also something to be said about people, certain people being a little more susceptible to them too, because I know, Michael seems to get them every time he goes, even when sometimes others might, you know, might not who he's with. Um, but yeah, something I'm maybe just, I know it's a lot more overgrown, um, down on the dark side, especially Mm -hmm. after you go through pond lick. Um, so maybe, maybe that was it, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't have a single one. That's for sure. Hmm. I don't don't remember anyone from the 50 K saying that they got bites either. So kudos uh kudos to you all for weathering that other unknown so maybe somewhat unknown challenge
0: yeah michael might not want me talking about how bad the seed ticks were <laughs> but they they can be truly bad like i was miserable the week afterwards and last year it, like one of the worst uh scenarios i've ever had with insects i i, I don't it even it made me think year. afterwards hmm. i might not want to do it next year but i do want to do it next year so we'll see
2: the other interesting thing too, is I think one thing that maybe is not just specific to Ohio, um, but specific to a lot of the the races in the East half is that there, there aren't really a lot of, I mean, there definitely are winter races, but there aren't a lot of well-known, um, winter races. So I think yeah, it's yeah. also kind of cool, you know, having a race go a little bit later, um, and dealing with the cold weather a little bit. I mean, certainly, yeah, some people, it's not going to be their thing. Um, I'm somebody who's always run better in the cold. Um, I've never, I don't think I've ever done an ultra marathon in the cold. Um, So that's a little bit different, but I I distinctly remember a lot of, you know, training, long training runs, feeling better for me personally.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, I mean, we're almost 30 minutes into the show. We haven't really even started talking about this year's race day itself. I think that's a sign. It's just, such a special race. We've got to preamble it so much. Um, but one thing I really love about the Shawnee course is a, that it's not a simple 50 mile. Uh, Michael made sure that you get free, uh, four free bonus miles there, which is so nice of him. I can't imagine a more generous race director. Right. Um, but you start off on the opening loop, which is kind of like a nice prologue to what you're about to get into in the actual day itself. There's, um, there's that one climb on the backpack trail and you head down that dirt road before you get onto the North loop. Um, so Jamie and Jamie, why don't you take us through, you know, running down the road, um, steep road as well from the Shawnee lodge onto the opening loop, how you were feeling as things, you know, shook out, like finding yourself in the pack, were you thinking of any goals or anything at that time? Or were you just like, let me just get onto, you know, the North loop. And, uh, James, I'll say that if you want to lead this one up.
0: Yeah. Um, my strategy this year was a little bit different. I did try to run the first loop a little bit faster out of the lodge. I wanted to kind of get out there and just sort of feel the, feel what it's like to lead a race. I've never tried that before. And it worked out for me. Um, and I was able to gain a considerable amount of ground and run at a a clip that didn't feel too over exerting for me. Um, but the trail was also really prime at that time. I, I felt like I could cruise the downhills on that first opening loop, uh, because the trail is softer due to the, the rain the previous night. So I felt pretty good on the first loop and enjoyed the, the solitude a
1: bit out there. And Jamie, what about you?
3: My goal was really to just, try to stay relaxed and, and kind of just be in tune with my body um, and also take nutrition early. So my, my downfall in races has been my stomach. I, you know um, so I was really trying to be conscious. I remember even in the first loop, like pulling out one of my bars and being like, all right, you have to start eating now. Um, and, but yeah, I mean, I remember feeling relaxed, feeling good. And um, one of the things I guess I remember from the first loop, cause it was still dark was just looking up and how like dark and beautiful the sky was with the stars. Um, so yeah, I was just trying to not, be to have put too much pressure on myself around where I was in placement or like how fast I was going. And I was just really going based on on effort and feel, um which I think worked out for me because I didn't get myself too worked up or psyched out about, you know, um what was next. It was just kind of like focusing on how I feel now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Two two very different approaches, but obviously they worked out for both of y'all. And now then going from the opening loop after, you know, You hit that first aid station at mile seven, you're you're headed on the north loop to the fire tower and then eventually down to uh, Camp Oyo at the Boy Scout camp. Where are you feeling at this time? You know, this part, it's a little bit more runnable than the back half. Jamie, are you are you still pressing on the gas now or you wanting to increase that lead or you just kind of I've got a lead. I'm just going to hold on to it for a while.
0: Since we've been going for over 30 minutes, and I'll try not to make this too long, but I actually went off course right after Fire Tower. i It's no fault to Michael uh, mm-hmm. with marking the course. It was perfectly marked, but... You, you missed go, the right-hand turn. Yeah. Missed, I, yeah.
3: Instead,
0: of cro- instead of crossing the road that we were mm-hmm. running on and going right back down into that, that trail section, I just t- took a sharp left and continued down the road uh, for about three quarters of mile. So I, I probably added on about a mile and a half to my day right there. And I kind of overexerted myself to get back on course. Um, and I told myself it wasn't a big deal. Like it happens, but it was kind of ironic because I was running with the first place 50 K, um, guy. And I think his name was Aaron, I believe. And he, uh, him and I were talking about how you really have to pay attention in the, uh, the dawn hours or cause you can easily get off course in an ultra and five minutes after that, I totally got off course and kind of dug myself a little bit of a hole, but uh, I was able to catch back up with uh, people, the the lead guys in the 50 mile at camp Oyo, I believe is where it was um, or no at a, what's is that Odell Creek after fire tower. Yeah. No, I think you're yes. right. It is it camp Oyo? It's cause were still, Oyo with me. is
1: the one yeah. After fire tower.
0: Okay. Yep. So that's where, yeah, I was able to catch back up with with the, yeah. the lead guys. So. Mm-hmm.
1: And then, uh, Jamie, what was the the North Loop like for you? Did you? Um, and forgive me for not knowing this, but is this where you took the lead, or did you just kind of find yourself in the lead? And what? Were, yeah, I what guess were those I ended up. Like?
3: Yeah, I guess I was actually in the lead the whole time. So I, when I hit fire tower, the second place female was right with me. And I kind of realized at that point that I was leading, which made me nervous, but I was like, well, you're feeling good. So I turned on the gas a little bit, leaving fire tower. I definitely felt like I wanted to try to like, let it look strong, try to, you know, maybe get a bit of a, a lead. And honestly, um, I think once I realized I was leading, I just tried to gradually keep, keep moving and just, you know, not look behind me. I was kind of wondering the whole time. I think it was sort of a feeling of like, I don't, I don't often lead races. I feel like I'm one of those that normally like I'll pick people off in the second half of a race. So it was one of those things where I was trying to not burn myself, you know, down to the ground, but also pushing hard enough that I was like, I really would like to stay here and, you know, make, make some progress. So it was a little bit of a balancing game and trying to figure out how to pace myself from there. Cause I definitely think I turned on the gas a little after fire tower.
1: Absolutely, and this this is a really important question for both y'all. But did either of you actually climb the fire tower? No, it is not. No. I, we did
3: last year, though. Did, did you climb it last year, Jamie? I think you did.
1: Yeah, oh, yeah, we did. Yeah, we, I, did. Certainly. we did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I have to admit, I have only attempted to go up the fire tower once. That was uh, oh, oh, almost two and a half years ago. Now I went and I ran the backpack loop on my birthday, and I uh, uh-huh. only made it up about halfway. Um, I was alone. Are you afraid of heights? In my defense, not really. Uh, no, <laughs> but just there's something about that fire tower in particular that like definitely sketched me out. So anybody who makes it to the top of that during a race, automatic kudos from me.
0: I heard that's where Michael Owen actually lives up there. I think that's. <laughs> I think it his domicile.
1: That's you know what? Maybe that's the vibe that I was getting. That was like you don't belong up here. Go down. <laughs> <laughs> um but so with that right we get um into Camp OEO and onto um the back half of the race which includes uh for both the 50 milers uh the dark side which is I think one of the only wilderness management areas in the entire state of Ohio um where were you both at going into this you know you both have Spent plenty of time on the course, you know, that the back half is harder, you know, that the dark side, there's a lot of down trees because you can't use any power tools for trail cleaning. Um, Are you trying to maintain leads? Are you trying to put extra time on people? Are you just waiting and trying to get through things as best you can? Uh, And Jamie, if you want to lead this one off.
3: Yeah. um I think I know I went through a bit of a low point. Um, It was around mile 38. I think it was as we were kind of entering the dark side. I just remember it getting hot um, and climbing some of the hills and onto the ridgelines. It was was definitely, I was feeling the heat a little bit and trying to kind of manage, um, you know, I don't want to overheat, but I was also trying to still kind of keep, you know, at a decent pace. Um, So I remember being a little, little like unsure of how how I was going to get through the the rest of the race from there. Um, But once I hit really the, main part of the dark side and had to, you know, climb all the trees. I always find it a little bit, um, maybe frustrating to go so slow. Cause you feel like, oh my gosh, I should, I, I want to be going faster and you just can't there. But I also thought it was so beautiful that I tried to kind of take it in and tell myself like no one else is like sprinting through this either. Like everyone has to climb these trees. Um, but it definitely was, uh, maybe, maybe even more trees than I remember, um, the last time I was there. So I think I was just trying to like be patient, not trip and fall and, <laughs> um, you know, maim myself. Um, but yeah, I, I, I calmed down, I think then shortly thereafter and, and kind of got myself, um, you know, into a better mental, mental frame set. I just think that, um, it's sometimes in the middle of, in, of a 50 miler in that like 35 to 40 ish range, things get a little start falling off the, the tracks a little bit. <laughs>
0: Yeah, after uh, fire tower, I sort of did that sprint to catch back up with uh, the people that I that, that ended up uh, leaving me. And I met up with a guy named um, he's from Michigan and uh, Matt Ramiller. And he was a great partner to run, I think, five miles uh, of trail with to kind of get my spirits back up. And uh, then we ran into the man himself, Nick boss. And I probably shared close to seven miles with you or seven to 10. Would you say at least,
2: I think, yeah, it was probably in the 10, 10 ballpark. I think I was on like mile eight or nine. Um, and we stayed together until like 19 ish from my watch. So,
0: which was excellent. So I was having a lot of fun, uh, catching up with those two for the middle part of the race. And I, I really didn't feel like I was competing at all. We just kind of. Uh, relaxed into a nice conversational pace and, and and kept our our conversation flowing almost the entire time so the middle part of the race flew by for me i mean i was paying attention to the scenery and the, the sunshine was coming out it was getting you know it was, it was overcast at that point so it was still pretty manageable i guess it didn't get hot till the end but um at hangover was when the third place um male named Adam caught up to, uh, Matt and I, and he was charging along. So into the dark side, that's when, uh, the first place guy, he kind of took the lead and, and he was just too hard to keep up with. So Matt and I just kept it cool and enjoyed the the nice long run together. Uh, but the trees, they were pretty, <laughs> they're pretty, uh, atrocious at times. Like you had to, they're, up to your i can't imagine being if you're you know five foot tall or or any shorter than six foot because th- they would have told totally knocked you off your kilter but i'm
3: five five by were, the way and i was literally <laughs> launching myself over them.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: they were yeah i was wondering wild. what the strategy might be to get over those trees is it you know do you try and step up on them do you roll over top of them Jump uh, clear I feel like thing. I had like
3: a lot of intimate moments with the trees personally. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was There's imagining no them. Yeah, yeah. I was imagining a steeple chase strategy. You know, like getting over the water jump. That's roughly the speed you guys are going on the dark side,
0: right? Oh yeah.
1: It was a it's bit interesting too.
2: <laughs> I don't know if it's a. Is that a wilderness area over there too? And um, I think if so, it's actually you know usually you're not allowed to use um, any power tools or anything like that for trail maintenance. So it makes it kind of an interesting, interesting piece of the race for sure.
3: It's so beautiful though. It's such a great area. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So talk about a little bit, sorry, no, go ahead. (laughs) I was just going to say it's, it definitely is a wilderness area, but they also have on that side, there's some of the most cruiser downhill double track sections too. So there is a little bit of relief over there.
3: Yeah.
2: And talk about, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't done the whole, um, the whole course or, or much of, of anything past Camp Oyo actually, um, on the 50 mile course. So talk a little bit about, um, I guess for anyone who's looking to step it up, maybe who did the 50 K this year and wants to try the 50 mile next year, talk about, um, the aid station support on, on the other side. Cause I saw some pictures and it looked like they were having a good time. And, uh, and and I, if I remember correctly, they kind of, uh, the gap shortens a little bit between aid stations, which probably really helps. So start with that one, Jamie.
3: I loved the, uh, I always loved the, the one with Darth Vader and kind of the dark side aid station. Um, they're, they're fabulous there. And then they always have wonderful, so they had tater tots this year, which are like one Mm -hmm. of my favorite foods of all time. Um, so I was extremely happy to get there after, you know, a number of pretty big climbs and it was pretty hot in the day. Um, that was, that was lovely. And I I think in general, the aid stations were awesome. I mean, they had great food. They were just really, um, like I said, at mile 38 ish. Um, I remember the woman at the aid station was just super encouraged. It was just like not letting me be negative. Um, and yeah, I just, I thought the volunteers were fabulous. I was really grateful.
0: Absolutely. I completely agree with that. The aid stations were incredibly well-stocked and, uh, the volunteers were super cheerful the entire day. Shout out to, um, the crew from, well, I guess it wasn't all Northern Ohio, but Chadwick and Mark and Josh at the, uh, I guess it was pond lick aid station with the grateful dead theme. That one was incredible. I don't think it's technically on the dark side yet, but it's a good pick me up right before you get to it. And, um, I I loved the hangover aid station at that point, you know, you're, you're craving some solid foods and they always have it well stocked there. So it kind of sets you off on the right foot and you have, uh, you know, the majority of the race behind you at that point. So it's just kind of gritting your teeth and, charging onto the finish line and, and trying to enjoy yourself as much as you can, because it's a celebration to be out there and you shouldn't, you shouldn't be in too low of a place because we're all so fortunate to be able to, to be out there and have that wilderness experience so close to home, if you live in Ohio.
1: So it's a cherished place, at least for me. Absolutely. Great, great answer. And that's a great attitude to have out there on race day. Um, and so, to kind of transition away from this, right. And talking about things that are wonderful and made y'all happy. Um, but the, you know, also in every ultra there's, there's going to be low moments and on this course, what were the lowest moments for each of you guys? I know, uh, James already talked about 2018 thinking of DNF and I'm assuming there was none of those kinds of thoughts this year, James.
0: No, i not to sound uh, self-righteous or anything, but I actually didn't have a low moment in the race. Even getting off course, it just kind of you know made me mad at myself for being just that that type of runner that has their head up their rear end and not paying attention. But uh, uh, you know, I didn't really feel any lows. I I was able to maintain eating, and my stomach didn't go awry. So I was just in conversation and keeping it conversational, like I said the whole time. So it, it just flew by, and I I think going into a race healthy really helps if you're not overtrained or, and you may be tapered well enough. Like if you keep your calories up and race, you sometimes they just come together for you. And that's kind of how I felt on this day. So low moments, I, I, that's not a very exciting answer. I know, but I honestly, I didn't really have too many low ones, especially seeing Nick boss out there. It just really helped me, you know, get through those middle moments and, uh, yeah, that was good or you helped me too. I definitely would have been uh I would have been in a
2: deeper hole, I think. I was I was getting just a little lonely out there myself, um just because there're just, you know, not as many people, you know, at that point in the race, um since we the 50Kers skipped that opening loop, most of the 50 mile people were behind us. Um so I was definitely getting a little bit into that, you know, you know the, some of those negative thoughts about wondering, you know, how your body's going to feel later in the race if it's already feeling a certain way and It was a welcome, uh, it was a welcome addition to, uh, just not think about that stuff anymore and just kind of stick with you and Matt. And that was, that was, I I think for me, it was really key, um, to be able to just knock out those middle miles.
0: It really helps to have someone to run with an ultra and in a 50 mile distance where you can't employ a pacer, it is so helpful to latch on to another runner and, couldn't recommend that enough. It, it seemed like Matt was
2: really keen on just kind of sticking with you too. Uh, did he ever, I, I mean, I talk about some of your, um, interactions with him. Was it just straight up friendship kind of the whole way, or did he ever like try to test you a little, or, and I know he's also a fairly new ultra runner too. Um,
0: you know, so what was that like? You know, he, he was definitely starting to hurt at the end. So there was some moments where I felt like I was, it kind of helped me to avoid low moments because I was talking him out of some of his and, uh, and it, it just was, it was great. It was almost instant friendship. We have a lot of uh, similar interests of skateboarding and just various things from our youth. And, and uh, yeah, he's one of those guys that was easy to talk to. And, and when you're out there sharing miles with someone. It's a pretty intimate experience. So we totally got into the deep conversations about our philosophies of life. And it was just a classic ultra marathon, uh, moment, uh, later on in the race after we departed next. So it was pretty cool.
2: Yeah. Right on Jamie. Did, did you get to, uh, did you get to latch on to any runners and, and kind of have those conversations or did you run by yourself most of the way? Uh-oh, she might have froze. I was going to say, did we lose her?
1: <laughs> I was going to say, that's kind of like a long look. But... <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. I think she's frozen in time. <laughs> yeah.
1: All right. Well, um, we will go ahead and just push on with this. we um, Well, uh, yeah, if she comes back, uh, we'd love to hear more and hear the answer <laughs> to that question. Um, oh, there she goes. All right. Um, if we need to, yeah, we'll uh we'll do what we need to do, but we are running up on 850 now. Um and so kind of to transition back, right? You talked about how, you know, James, you didn't really have a low moment during this race. But then what was what was kind of the highest moment for you? Was it crossing that finish line? Was it, you know, the the kind of easy friendship that you fall into when you're sharing miles with somebody? What was the thing at this race that made you the happiest? Um it was probably knowing that, you know, the
0: people out there that, you know, were manning the aid stations and, um, you know, my parents that showed up for the day that they were all having a good time too. And like, it just like fed my positivity and like, just to be out there again, doing these races with the community, that was probably the highlight of my day. Just like knowing that and being, you know, past the 50, uh, percent mark in a race you are just uh you're trying to maintain that positivity so like i would say the second half of the race was definitely like my my high point because i knew that it was in the bag at that point if i just kept going on with the same strategy i've been i've been doing all day long um and once you get to the very end and you're running that same trail that you started on the day you know that you know, it's almost it's almost over, and you have some pizza and beer waiting for you at back of the lodge, which shout out the Shawnee State Park Lodge. They were a great host for the event. Um, the waitress in there at the restaurant was uh super friendly and, and serving up pizza and beer afterwards. And I anyone that does the race in the future, just think about that. Like you have a really awesome meal to look forward to at the end, and and it's great. Michael Owens there waiting for you too.
1: So that
0: was definitely my high
1: point. Absolutely. Great. Great answer there. Oh, oh there she is. Yeah.
3: Sorry about that guys.
1: Don't know. Hey, yeah. no worries. We're back. And that's good to know because, uh, John has not gotten back to my SOS text yet. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it, it helps when you are friends with guys who really know tech stuff and then, um, When they have actual things to do, you know, you end up with me and Nick (laughs) running the show. (laughs) Anyways, um, the, the question you missed, uh, Jamie, as, um, we kind of just pushed on with James there is, you know, we talked a little bit about low moments and, um, I don't think we heard your answer for your lowest moment of the race. So if you'd like to include this as well, feel free. But, um, the last one we asked was, you know, what was the moment in this race that brought you the most
3: joy? Well, that's a good question. Um, uh, it must've been the final, um, the final climb up to the finish. Um, when I knew that, you know, it was in the bag. Um, <laughs> I remember my, my husband was, was filming me as I came up the Hill. And I, I remember just stopping and giving him a kiss and being like, you know, I got this. I, I think my actual words were fuck yes, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> cause I just, like I said, I had, I had a, a a bad couple races. And I really felt like this was like a bit of a comeback for me and just confidence booster. Um, I guess in low moments, I don't really feel like I had a super low moment either. I mentioned, you know, around mile 38, I, I definitely felt like things were getting a little hard. It was getting a little hot. Um, and I will say I, you know, my stomach didn't go well the last few miles. So probably the the hardest for me was, I don't think I was really taking in any calories, probably the last seven, eight miles. So I definitely, by the end was a little, um, little fatigued in that way. Um, I, I still haven't quite wrestled the the demons of uh you know ultra running stomach issues, but <laughs> um, I I, w- I wouldn't say it was anything uh, too bad that I couldn't manage through it.
1: Great answer E. Love that answer and feel free uh, to use profanity on the show. I know <laughs> we're a little late for me to make that announcement, but you know, especially <laughs> in the context, right? You definitely love to hear about those fuck yeah moments. <laughs> You got something to add, Jamie? I have a quick question for Jamie. What do you
0: find that works the best for you in ultras? And maybe what is the least effective as far as aid station foods go?
3: The problem is for me, it depends on the day. Like I feel, I I guess in general, what works best is probably mostly like things like potatoes. Um, but then also lately I've been doing more liquid nutrition and gels, um, And I thought that was going okay, but then it it stopped going okay at some point in Shawnee. So I I think it somewhat depends on the day with me. Beer actually works really well. Like, I mean, not too much of it, but like, I think it settles (laughs) my stomach. Yeah. Yeah, Um, same. But yeah, I just, I I don't know. I haven't quite figured it out. It's still, that's still one of the main reasons. I think I've struggled with the hundred mile distance.
0: Yeah. What about you? In hundreds, I for sure try to consume more uh, substantial foods like potatoes, peanut mm-hmm. butter and jelly sandwiches, um, fig newtons. That's probably my all-time favorite. Oh,
3: I like I fig newtons. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's what got me through Leadville. No doubt. Just <laughs> Gobs of fig newtons. But, um, in this race, I tried to do mostly liquid calories and mm-hmm. I think that really helped, uh, with my bathroom situation, uh, throughout the day. Uh, I was able to keep that at a, a bare minimum, which was great. Mm-hmm. And, um, I also, uh, really think that if you can combine your liquid, uh, you know, calories with uh, a couple extra foods in there, you're, you're getting close to that 300 calories an hour. Um, and usually if, if it's not too fibrous, then, uh, I have no problem digesting those, but I, it's, it's constantly, uh, I think a struggle later in the race when you're, you're trying new foods. Cause the, the ones that you're used to start to taste, less appealing and you try something different and then you just quit eating for the last like 10 miles that's probably the biggest struggle with me is like I ended up grabbing a brownie the very last mm. station and I couldn't stomach it, it wasn't that it was a bad brownie it was any other time I would have loved it but <laughs> it was like I literally spit it out in the last four miles I was like nope there's pizza at the end you just <laughs> burn some fat or something
2: <laughs> I love that you're making yeah. sure that you're fair to the brownie there in that situation. <laughs> yeah
1: no no dig on the brownie (laughs) yeah well we we all know about uh the brownies at the level 100 um oh yeah (laughs) but but with uh with that said you know we'll um wrap this up this is a the last question we'll ask before we get into our our quick questions that we love to do at the end of these shows um i think updated since you were last on jamie um but this is shamelessly stolen from the blister off the couch podcast by me uh, but no worries about that, but it's, what is the best question that we haven't asked yet? And James, if you want to take this one first.
0: Yes. And this one has already been, um, put out into the air. When is Michael going to have the Shawnee 100? That's it. I think he needs to do a double. Did, uh, did Wesley put you up to this? Oh, no. No, but it's been in the lore. That's for sure. Yeah. So I don't know if this will really do anything because I know how big of a uh, uh, commitment that is to to make a hundred out of thin air. But I think it would be incredibly challenging.
1: It's would you rather if it would you rather be
2: two would you rather be two loops or uh, kind of take on some forest roads and make it more of an intuitive loop?
3: Hmm.
0: That's a good idea. I would be open to that for sure.
3: Just The edge of Appalachia section. I want that to be part of it. I love that section.
1: Yeah. I I wonder if there's like maybe like a public Strava route that includes edge of Appalachia and the Shawnee forest. Mm -hmm. Um, Nobody's Strava account in this, this group uh, has that route on there. Um, Anyways, uh, (laughs) Jamie, uh, what about you? What's the best question that we haven't asked you yet?
3: Oh, you haven't asked me. Um, well, I have to admit, um, one of the first things that I knew about Jamie Hanks before I actually met him in person was about a tattoo that he has. So I thought maybe we would be talking about tattoos tonight and no one asked about me about a tattoo or, or him about where his tattoo is.
1: (laughs) Okay. Is it time for uh, the tattoo show and tell Jamie? Oh no! No, <laughs> I was going to say no. all mine are going to stay covered. Um, <laughs> I just remember that I
3: didn't. I never met Jamie before, but I I only knew of him through his tattoo. My friends had told me about his uh, very special tattoo.
0: Let's just say, if you know, you know.
3: <laughs> if you know, you know. <laughs> what happens in the Shawnee Forest stays in the Shawnee Forest. <laughs> oh
1: man, well. that's yep. Well. Uh, (laughs) if you know, you know, and we'll move on to our, our quick questions now. Um, so we'll start, um, and we'll do these a little more rapid fire. Uh, James, if you want to take, we'll just say for, you know, ease of use, right? That you'll go first and then Jamie, you'll answer them second. Does that work? That's all right. All right. And so what is one thing you can't leave an aid station without?
0: Uh... A refill of water and hydration mix.
3: If they have beer, it would be beer.
0: Great answer. Two very different answers, but great. Um, (laughs) Uh, I did owe that one though. They have beer. That's certainly coming.
1: (laughs) And so what has been your weirdest mid-race hallucination or the strangest thing you've seen somebody eat at an aid station?
0: Oh, I would say the strangest thing I've seen at an aid station was probably um Zach Bitter in uh Arizona, just like totally um kind of like heat exhausted and off route. Uh, well just come off of route. And he was like just getting ready to DNF um at the Black Canyon 100. So that was probably the craziest thing I saw at an aid station ever. And then uh Uh, I've never had a hallucination in a hundred, so nothing too crazy as far as that goes.
3: Um, I didn't have a hallucination, but one of the weirdest things I saw during a hundred was randomly during Mohican. And maybe you saw this too, Jamie, there was a Fauci doll just sitting in the forest with like a light around it. And you could like see this, like Anthony Fauci, just like glowing in the forest. (laughs) There's a picture of it. So it was real. I didn't hallucinate. Oh, wow but that was weird. Um, Maybe in terms of the weirdest things people eat, um, I've seen people eat like blocks of cheese, which totally like, I don't eat cheese in like real life. So I feel like during ultra, I'm like, anything dairy is just like, what? Like, how does that sit well? But yeah, maybe that. Oh, actually no, Tim Crow, my good friend, Tim Crow wants dairy products. Like he wants ice cream and like iced coffees with all this cream. And I'm like, that is like literally like the worst thing I could possibly think for my stomach, but he loves that. Yeah, he does great. I think it's it's weird.
0: yeah, it's kind of weird seeing Chadwick Robinson run the opposite direction with a Kogala light, uh, third loop and fourth loop at Mohican mm-hmm. this year. He looked like a walking, like uh, one of those like crazy LED lights you see on the front <laughs> of jacked so up great. trucks. Yeah, he was just <laughs> plowing through the forest in the opposite direction and everyone was tired. <laughs> he was, that was probably the weirdest thing too, but
1: all right great answers i don't know how i missed the fauci doll i i was at mohican this year as well hmm. and that's i i'm concerned for i'll whoever. just send you a picture it's really it's creepy
3: it's actually creepy yeah we didn't yeah. see that did we I
1: t- if we saw it i've I pushed i have repressed that memory so deep <laughs> like it's gonna take therapy to get that back out um but so uh one of our new quick questions is which uh ball sport do you think you could beat the majority of other ultra runners in? Oh,
0: I don't think there is a ball sport. I suck with that's, (laughs) that's kind of why I, I, uh, I quit them all (laughs) and took up running.
3: I'm the (laughs) same. I'm I'm not coordinated. Yeah. I'm terrible. Nothing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I would like to say golf, but that's definitely not true. Definitely not true. So well, will just say golf, but everyone knows it would actually beat me.
1: Okay. And so same thing, Jamie, just not a ball sports person,
3: not a ball sports person. Uh, we'll go
1: ahead. Oh, I, I mean, kickball, right. We'll throw that one out there. I think that counts. Let's go wide with our ball sports. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Um, so this is another one that we really love. Um, just because I, think it's so ridiculous but um uh would you rather fight one chicken on day one two chickens on day two three chickens on day three and so on for an entire calendar year or you get a calendar year to train to fight uh one mountain lion um and each day you have to fight these chickens you don't get anything but the clothes on your back you get the calendar year you're training to fight the mountain lion you can get a sword and armor uh which one of these Mm -hmm. are you going to take
0: For sure, the mountain lion. Um, Back in 2018, there's a Fort Collins guy that got attacked by one and killed it with his bare hands. So that is confidence inspiring to me. So I'm thinking of another baby mountain lion. lion, I remember that. Yeah. um, Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) At any rate, if we can have swords,
1: then definitely mountain lion. Yeah. I'm going to go with mountain mountain lion as well.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to say the same.
1: Awesome! Great, great answers. Our our first ever real life example pulled into this question. Um, <laughs> I'm waiting on somebody to talk about how easy it is to kill a chicken with their bare hands because they've done it, um, and that's when we'll know the show's too intense and we'll get rid of this question. A uh, hundred chickens so. though.
0: Do you have to uh, deal with the repercussions of uh, animal rights activists afterwards that when you kill the <laughs> mountain lion? That's
1: you know, we haven't thought that far ahead. I, <laughs> I don't quite know. Um, I feel like, to be honest, though, just knowing like PETA and that kind of thing, if you if you ritualistically fought hundreds of chickens each day for a year, I think they might they might just have more opportunity to protest you. Yeah, it's a little bit more socially
0: accepted though to kill chickens. So I don't know. it's, it's debatable now in, in my mind.
1: <laughs> All right. Um, and so this is a, a question we love. We've got a Spotify playlist called Tunes of the Nation that you can, if uh, you search on Spotify for Ridge Runners, you can find. Um, but if Ultra Running had walk up songs like baseball, what would yours be?
0: Mm, it would probably be something uh, not from the 80s. Let's just put that because I cannot stand 80s music. So any song that doesn't come from the 80s, I'd be fine with. <laughs>
1: Okay, and like 1880s, right? 1980s are still good? No, no 1980s songs.
0: I'm sorry Um, uh, to all my parents, friends, and my parents. uh, Just no 80s songs. Sorry. I'd probably do uh, something from the 70s, though. That's fine. Maybe like an early Neil Young song.
3: Okay.
1: And what about you, Jamie?
3: I don't know. It's kind of cheesy, but I feel like I'd do like Eye of the Tiger or something like that. (laughs) Good answer. I feel like you
1: can't go too cheesy on this. This is hyping you up. You know, you're running into an aid station, yeah. right? Like you can't, I don't think you can go too cheesy. <laughs> All right. Not. And so uh, this is our last question. Um, and then we'll let everybody go. Um, but if you could run with one person in the history of the world, um, if they aren't a runner, you know, we're going to say they're running with you. They're going to keep your pace. You're going to have a nice conversational long run with them. Who would it be and why?
0: That's a deep question. I like it. I think, to be honest, it would probably be John Muir, I would say. I think he'd be a cool guy to run with. As you can see, I love uh, the national parks and everything with the Yosemite picture back there. So I would say probably John Muir, so he could tell me about the early days of of uh, yeah, exploring the mountains of the West and everything.
1: And Jamie?
3: Yeah. I, I know it's, she's already a super famous ultra runner. So, um, she fits that category, but I'd love to meet and run with Courtney DeWalter. I just totally, it's totally a huge fan girl. So great answer. I think, I mean, honestly, like
1: those people are kind of larger than life in a way in our very niche sport, um, that, you know, I don't, I, well, if anybody is an ultra runner who's getting like stopped at the grocery store and asked, <laughs> it's probably her. Right. Um, but you know, that you can have, I, I love that about this sport, that there are these regular people who can also be larger than life and that we can look up to, but, um, great answers there. Um, I want to, uh, give you all a second. If you have anybody to plug any sponsors, any shout outs you want to give, uh, now's the time.
3: I'm a noon ambassador drink noon.
1: (laughs) Um, shout
0: out fig Newton, you know, this (laughs) want to get a that. that's gonna be my next tattoo. it's like ricky bobby on the front of his uh <laughs> race car you know this big old big newton right across here
3: and, and shout out michael owen was a great race i think we should shout out to him too
1: <laughs> yes
3: yeah mm-hmm. we, we've shout given him
1: uh yeah we've given him enough little uh jabs with the talk about the shiny 100 you know yeah but yeah so um thank you so much for joining us tonight um if you tuned in and made it this far to the end, why don't you subscribe to our YouTube channel? If you're listening later on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, don't worry, we love y'all too. Um, If you would like, we'd really appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review for us, Um, and also subscribe to us on those platforms. We're available wherever you get podcasts. Um, We had on Jamie Hanks and Jamie Fenstrel tonight for Ridge Runners Live number 70. We will be live three times uh, next week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all at 8 p.m. Eastern, So if you've made it here, you know, we're about to have five shows in two weeks. This is a, it's a record for us. So that's incredible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, We're very stoked on it. And there's just so much cool stuff happening that we want to highlight in this community. So, you know, we had to make it happen. Um, But yeah, with that said, uh, we want to thank y'all again so much for joining us. Um, We hope you had a good time because we certainly did. Good night. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Appreciate it.
2: Ridge Runner Nation, thank you again for tuning in to another Ridge Runners Live Show. Remember, if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on Apple iTunes. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us out as well. If you don't follow us on social media, make sure to give us a follow. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, join our Strava Club so you can get mentioned in the Strava rundown
0: every single week. We'll see you next week, Version Nation.